Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. We've been in this series called For Better, For Worse. For better, for worse, and uh, if you missed the first week of this series, I, I cannot encourage you any, any stronger than I am to go back and, and watch that first week. Pastor's message was absolutely incredible, and it will help you. Uh, and then last week, John and Lisa Bevere were our guests and taught on relationships and um, offense, and uh, man, it was, it was very, very strong teaching, very, very good. Um, and then uh, this week, I will be concluding this series, and so since we've been on this on this topic, um, uh, and I want to give a I want to give a marriage tip right off the bat before we even get into it. Uh, if you have a copy of God's Word, you can go to First Corinthians chapter three and also Matthew chapter seven. We'll be spending a bunch of time in Matthew, uh, but we'll start in First Corinthians chapter three. But I want to give this pro marriage tip. I'm really good at marriage, and so I want to just make this this tip. This is for all the wives. All right, so I want all the wives to listen up. Some of the husbands are like, good, let's do this. Um, get your notepad out, wives, and I'm gonna give you this pro-marriage tip. Here's the pro-marriage tip. Wives, on your phone, what I want you to do is, on your home screen, make your home screen a picture of your husband's face. Come on. That's not, even, that's not even the pro tip, that's just the beginning of the pro tip, but yeah, you want that nice close up of his face being a big cheesy smile, let that be your, your, the home screen on your phone. And then, as you're going through a day next week, and it's getting tough at work, or it's tough at home, and you're going through some tough things, you pick up that phone, and you look at it, and you see his face, and you tell yourself at that moment, if I can handle him, I can handle anything this day throws at me. So that, no, I'm just playing. How many wives thankful for their husband, amen? Calm down, Jamie, all right, it's all right, honey. She was, she was up here just going crazy on that. Uh, amen, I'm sure. First Corinthians chapter three, uh, we will be talking a little bit about um, relationships and, and what we're building, and you'll hear that in a moment. Um, and some of us will be able to look through it with the lens of, of marriage, and some of us will look through it with the lens of other relationships. Some of us look through it through the lens um, of, of, uh, of you know, building our family, but we're, we're doing it uh, by ourselves, and that's fine. We're, we're all building something. That's what we'll see in these scriptures. We're all building a life. We're all building something. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14 and 15 says it this way. If what has been built survives, which is what we all want, then the builder will receive a reward. If what has been built survives, then the builder receives a reward. But if it is burned up, the builder will suffer a loss. I'm gonna preach for a few minutes on this thought. Built for the worse. Built for the worse. Let's pray one more time. Let's ask God's anointing on this word. Pray with me if you would, pray with me. Lord, uh, we do just welcome you again. We invite your presence into every single atmosphere in which we are taking part of this service. And I pray you'd be strong. Let, let there just be a fresh anointing on your word today. Help me, God, to not talk about you, but to speak for you. Help me to say only what you would have me say. Help us to hear and also, God, 
activate in our life what we hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Back in 2004, I guess it was, um, we had some storms blow through uh, that year. Anybody here was around 2004 when those hurricanes blew through it? Our campuses, hands are up, yeah. Um, hurricane Charlie was the first one that was coming through. I had never been through a hurricane before. I had been in Orlando for, uh, I don't know, eight years or so at that point, but we had never really been through a hurricane, a couple scares, and, uh, and there, this one was a scare. And then people were talking about it and bracing for it and buying stuff and um, went to pastor, and I said, Pastor, what do you think? And Pastor Carl said, oh, don't worry. Hurricanes don't ever get into Orlando. You will be fine. It's okay, good. And uh, that's what we all thought, you know? It hadn't happened like that. Uh, and then I remember that Friday came, and the forecast was like, y'all better get ready because it is coming. And so we were, I remember being at my house Friday, that Friday afternoon, it was already starting to get a little bit, you know, whatever. And, and I was putting, they were saying, take stuff out and get it out of the yard. And so I was putting stuff out of the yard. And I had a, we had a big trampoline in our backyard back then for our kids. And I decided what I'll do is I'll flip that trampoline upside down with like the vinyl on the ground. That way it won't fly away. And so I was out there by myself trying to tilt that trampoline up and get it to a tipping point and have it fall over. And for the life of me, I could not get it up high enough to tip over. And finally, I thought, if I can't move this trampoline, then neither can Charlie. That's what I thought. <laughs> and I don't know why y'all are laughing. I'm not even to that part of the story yet. Just wait for me. So then the, I remember that storm comes that night and it is dark. I mean, it's, there's no power. It's the clouds and the sky and rain. And the only progress you could kind of see was these momentary glimpses of the lightning and you could kind of see what was going on and I can remember standing at my sliding glass door just watching the progress of this storm and lightning would flash and I'd see, oh man, that tree's down, that, that tree's not gonna make it and then it'd be dark, I'd be watching then another lightning flash and you'd see just a moment be like, oh man, those fence panels are down and lightning flash, well those fence panels are almost down and lightning flash, man, those fence panels are all the way down and one of those lightning flashes, I was looking at the fence and when the lightning flash went away, I was like thinking about my peripheral, and I was thinking, I don't remember if I saw a trampoline in my backyard during that lightning flash. <laughs> so I decided to kind of focus in right there in the center of the yard and wait for the next lightning flash. And when the next lightning flash flashed, it was, it was a fact. There was no trampoline to be found. It was an unidentified flying object. That thing took off, hit some houses on the way through my neighborhood. That must have really been a shock for some people, seeing that thing come through. Well, when that storm was all said and done, and even during this storm, it became very obvious what on my property was built for better and what on my property was built for worse. Like, thank God my house was built for worse. And so we were in there and we were safe and no walls collapsed and no roof came off and so it was obvious that my house was built for a storm like that. But what was also obvious is that my fence was not built for the worse that my trampoline was not built for the worst, that those trees in the backyard, they had not yet gotten a root system enough to be built for that kind of storm. Uh, I mean, even if you think about these storms in Texas, it's not really just the elements that's causing all of this. If you think about it, it's the fact that Texas, and especially lower parts of Texas, they're not built for that kind of element. Like you think about the people in Minnesota looking down going, well, we get, I mean, we'd be golfing in that weather. What are you talking about? Why? Because they're built for it. You walk around the city of Minneapolis, you can get to every single building in the whole city and you never even have to go outside because they're built for that. Well, in scripture, uh, Jesus teaches a, a message and it's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew uh, 5 and 6 and 7. 
And uh, it's probably the most famous sermon that's ever been preached. In it, Jesus covers a multitude of topics, a multitude of ethics. He talks about what it's like to honor God and please God and what should be priorities in our life. He covers a lot of important information. And I wanna start, uh, as we look through this Sermon on the Mount today, maybe through the lens of relationship, through the lens of home, through the lens of maybe even marriage, um, I want to start with his conclusion. I don't know if Jesus was like most preachers, but most of us preachers, we're thinking about our conclusion. We're like, okay, what am I going to do to bring this thing home? What am I going to do to the end of this? And so I don't know if Jesus was like that, but I want to start with his conclusion, and then we'll go back and look through some of his preaching points in this great Sermon on the Mount. His conclusion, though, is in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, and this is what it says. Therefore, every one of you who hears these words of mine, what words? The words that he has been preaching. I mean, at the very least, that's what he's talking about. It may be broader, but in this sense, it would definitely include this sermon that he's just been sharing, the longest length of any teaching moment that we see recorded in scripture of Jesus. He says, if you hear these words of mine, but look, and puts them into practice. We can't miss that. It's not just about hearing the word of God. We can fall into a trap and thinking, well, I heard, so therefore I must be better. I heard, so therefore God must be pleased with me. I heard, I mean, I came to the marriage conference, so I guess things are gonna get better now. No, it's not just hearing, it's not just showing up, it's not just clicking the link uh, and, and tuning in online. It's not just about hearing the word, it's about letting the word get inside of us, right? Becoming a part of our spiritual DNA so that we start living, acting out the word, putting the word into practice. That's the goal, that's, that's what we're going for. And Jesus says, if you hear it and put it into practice, well, that person is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Here we go, for Jesus' big conclusion, he talks about construction again. He talks about the life that we're all building, the legacy that we're all building, the home that we're all building. Some of us, we're, we're married and we're building it with somebody. Some of us are single and we're building it the best we can by ourselves, and that's, and that's fine and that's a gift from God as well. Some of us are single parents and so we're trying to build uh, the home the best we can with God's help uh, and God is gonna help us. But we're all building something. He says, if you put it into practice, these words of mine, your house is like a house built on the rock. He says, the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. Somebody say amen. amen. But he gives the other side, the other builders. He said, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now listen, I, as I build my life, as we build our home, and we build our marriage, and we build our legacy, listen, I'm believing for the best. I mean, I'm planning, I just, I'm believing for blessing, I'm believing for sunny skies, I'm believing for the best, but I know I'm believing for the best, but I want to be built for the worst. Because when Jesus gives these two examples of these two people that probably had very, very similar materials in their building in the very similar season, he gives these two examples and he says, the storm comes, the rains come down, the winds blow. He doesn't even say if the storms come. He doesn't say when the storms, he just says, by the way, they come and they're coming. And that's the thing. So I want 
to believe for the best? Yes, I wanna believe for the better all day long. Do that, but I also wanna be built for the worst. I wanna be built to handle the storm when it comes. And for us to be built for the worst, then let's go back and look at some of the things that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, and let's do it through the lens of his conclusion, right? Let's do it through the lens of this construction illustration that he gives at the end and says, look, you want to build something that lasts, that stands the test of time. So if I'm gonna build a home, build a life, build a legacy, build a marriage, build a family that stands the test of time, it's gonna include some things. If I'm gonna be built for the worst, one of the things Jesus talks about is that it must be, there must be a counter to culture. If, if you want what you're building to last, then there has to be a counter to culture. In other words, you can't do it the way the world does. Do you realize this? We are not called to live like the world lives. We're not called to react like the world reacts. We're not called to see things the way the world sees them. We're not called to speak to things the way or speak to people the way the world would speak to things or speak to people. He talks about this in Matthew chapter seven in this same sermon, right, that we're gonna continue to look at. Verse 13 and 14, look at what Jesus said. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate Broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. There's got to be a counter to our culture. He says this wide gate, this wide path, many find it, but it's leading to destruction. You know what that tells us? It tells us that the majority is not always right. Just because everybody's doing something doesn't mean that's the way we're supposed to do it. Just because everybody believes a certain way does not mean we're supposed to believe that way. Just because everybody says a certain thing is this or that does not mean we do. As a matter of fact, Jesus said that way is going to lead to destruction. But it seems like that sometimes when we're on the narrow path heading towards the narrow gate, it just seems like sometimes we're just looking over there at that wide path going, man, look at them though. Can that many people be wrong? Yes, they can. All right, but we're looking at it going, but where, where does that gate lead? Because I can't see the other side. And they all look so happy on the way. And there just seems to be this draw to the wide path. And God says, if you want what you're doing to last, if you want what you're building to stand the test of time, you've got to stay here. I read a few years back about this uh, mountain climber, hiker named Joseph Bolig. He lived in Washington. He's an avid rock mountain climber and hiker, had done it in several countries. Uh, his home though was in Washington and he had climbed Mount St. Helens, that great volcano. He had climbed that like 68 times. That was his favorite mountain to climb. And one day he had done that four uh, hour hike up to the top crest of that volcano. And while he was up there, he'd done it many, many times. And he was up there in an area that they kind of said, hey, you probably shouldn't be in this area. But he'd been there so many times he'd gotten comfortable with it. He took off his backpack took off a, an outer layer of clothing and he tossed his phone to his friend that he was hiking with. And he said, I wanna pose for a picture. And he went and he stood really, really close to the opening of that great volcano. And as he stood there posing for a picture in his place that they recommended not to stand, the snow gave way and he falls into that volcano. And by the time rescuers could get to his body, he was, he was dead. And it happened because he had gotten so comfortable with the surroundings and it seemed like he was just drawn closer and closer to the edge. And Jesus said, you know what, that 
as, as the world draws you close, as the world welcomes you onto this path, understand there, there, there's this constant indoctrination happening to us. There's this constant draw to the wide path, but Jesus says that path is going to lead to destruction. We're not called to handle things the way the world does. We don't handle our, our dealings, our, our dealings with people, our relationships. We don't do it like the world does. We don't handle our, our marriages like the world does. We don't hold grudges against people even though the world might. We don't lash out. We don't get revenge. Oh, the world does that. Now, you may have a friend that goes, you know what you need to do? You need to do this and you need to, you need to stop listening to that friend. Go back to the word of God and say, God, how would you handle, how would you have me handle this situation? Even when it comes to sexual ethics, we don't handle those the way the world does. The Bible's pretty clear about sexual ethics and where a sexual relationship, where the parameters of a sexual relationship are. Sexual relationship is a gift from God and it's within the parameters of a marriage between a man and a woman. That's the biblical standard of, of a sexual relationship. And that's what we're, listen, that's what we're called to do. It's not even, the, the word of God's not even ambiguous about that. You don't have to go digging for a bunch of, now how, where is the word on this? But yet what we do is too easy. There's this draw and some people that might call themselves Christians, start to think, well, I mean, I mean, it's just as easy to do this, and we've got to live together so we can tell if we are going to be compatible, and we're in this relation, and we really love each other. I've counseled with people before who are in a, a sexual relationship outside of marriage, and I'll, I'll just explain what God's best for them is, and they'll look at me like I'm crazy and say, yeah, but, uh, but we're, we're, we love each other. You're saying we have to be married to, to live together? And I'm like, well, I'm not. I mean, God did, real clear, yes. And they're just looking at me like, like I'm crazy because in some cases we've lost the distinction. We're on a wide path thinking we're on a narrow path. I mean, listen to this statistic as it comes to living together because we're, we're in an interesting time in our nation where things obviously have, have really shifted dramatically over the last uh, couple of decades but in an age group of 18 to 44, so today in our country, if you're going between the ages of 18 and 44, 59% of that group of adults have lived with someone outside of marriage in a romantic way, okay? 59%. Of that same grouping today, less than 50% have ever been married. What's that telling us? That there has been a shift, that the wide path is here and the narrow path is here. Let me look, let's look at it this way. Uh, in, in, 80, in 1930, 1930, I wasn't around then, but they tell me, in 1930, 83% of adults were married in America. Today, less than 50% of adults in America are married. Now, hear me. Uh, I am, I'm convinced that there is an attack on the home, there is an attack on the institution of marriage. I think that there's something in the spirit realm going on there. I am not saying, however, that if you get married, you're a Christian now. I'm not saying that at all. I am saying this, though, that if you act married and you're not married, if you do the things that married people do and you're not married, it can make you a sinner. <laughs> I am saying that. So I'm not saying that marriage is, is the answer for everybody and that that's God's will for every. Of course that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that there is a narrow path that God is, he says, if what you're building, if you want your life to last, if you want what you're building to stand the test of time, then you can't do it like the world does. You have to do it. There has to be a distinction. There has to be a difference. Another thing that Jesus teaches in this sermon, we can look at it through the lens of our, what we're building in our life and building our marriage on. 
There's gotta be mercy in pain. And if you are taking some notes, you can just jot that down. There's got to be mercy in pain. Look at how Jesus preaches it in Matthew 5, in the early part of his sermon. He says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. I'm sure this was a tough teaching when Jesus was giving it. He was taking an, uh, a, a, a law and he was really creating a whole different attitude towards it. I don't know if anybody in this hearing me today uh, ever had this happen to you when you were a youngster. It happened to me once or twice. Um, but somebody would come up to you and they would do this. It was a little game back in the old days. And they'd say, we're going to have a contest to see who can hit each, hit each other the softest. Who can punch the softest? You go first. And I'd be like, all right. So I'd be getting ready. Okay, punch the softest. I get to go first. And then I would just barely, just, just barely touch their shoulder and just barely touch it and be like, oh, yes, I think I'm going to win. I barely touch them. This is going to be awesome. And I'd be like, it's your turn. I'm just sitting there relaxed, just waiting for their turn to try to punch softer than I just punched them. And what did they do? Haul off and just punch your arm as hard as they can. And then they go, I lost. <laughs> And I would be like, I don't like this game. And I don't feel like a winner right now. I feel like maybe I lost. And I wonder if that little goofy, childish trick, I wonder if that's how somebody feels in this room right now. I wonder if that's how somebody feels right now hearing this message in your relationships. You just feel like, I feel like I go, I bend over backwards. Try not to be the one that causes. I feel like I, I'm just constantly being the nice one. I feel like I'm constantly being the, the soft-spoken one. It's seeing everywhere I turn, someone's attacking. Everywhere I turn, it seems like I'm just getting, I'm just getting hit with this and hit with that. And, and I feel pain and I feel pain and I just don't know what to do. Well, it's a tough thing to preach. But you know what Jesus would say? Or what Jesus did say? Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Jesus said, if they asked to go one mile, go with them two. He's replacing this law with an attitude that says this, I would rather suffer loss myself than to cause someone else to suffer loss. I would rather receive the pain and I would rather receive the pain, if I had to choose between receiving the pain and being the one that inflicts pain on somebody else, I'd choose to receive the pain. And obviously it doesn't take a marriage therapist to figure out that if two people were to have that attitude together, that there could really be some strength, there could really be some foundation. If, if, if there was some mercy there, Jesus said if they, if they strike you, if they inflict pain on you, he says, turn the other cheek. He said, you gotta stay there to do that. You can't even just run away. And I do need to make this uh, exception and this, uh, this, this kind of correction in this, and, and it's unfortunate that we even have to, but in the society that we live in with the number of people that are hearing this message, I have to make this clarification, and it would be this. Jesus is not on any level uh, telling anybody to stay in a relationship where there is a physical abuse. 
And so there, there's no place for that. Um, you, would, you would be uh, called of God as you have a, a, a temple of the Holy Spirit and because of what you're called to do, you've got to protect yourself. And, and, and so anybody that would ever use this scripture against and try to say, well, you know, I know that I've been doing this to you, but look, you have to stay here and keep on receiving it. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is talking about an attitude that we have that says this, I am going to be a person of mercy. I'm gonna be a person that though someone has made a mistake and though somebody has said something that maybe they didn't even realize how bad they were hurting me, instead of lashing out, I'm gonna stay right here. He goes on to preach this same type of, of thought. He says, you've heard it said people, to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. We'd all go, yes, that's true. Anybody that murders should be subject to judgment. But then he takes it, spiritualizes it, takes it a step further, and he says, but I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And this word anger is a, is a type of anger that he's talking about that is uh, nursed internally. He's talking about a type of anger that kind of grows on, on the inside of us. It's, it's the kind of anger that is settled anger, and it's, it's been there for a little bit, and as it gets nursed and strengthened, it will start to destroy us. Never forget in fifth grade, we were walking home from school, me and my friends, and there was an area that we used to walk through, uh, a little creek, and when we got through this one spot of the creek, we saw this animal lying there. It was a, a, a raccoon, probably near death, and it was lying there and very, very sick, and so we decided to take that raccoon on as our pet, and we were gonna nurse that raccoon back to health. We were just trying to make a difference in the world, one raccoon at a time, you know, there as fifth graders, and so I remember we dipping water out of the creek and going and trying to just pour the water into that nasty little raccoon's mouth and at the time I had no idea what was going on I didn't even really know that much about raccoons uh, I know more now and if I were to diagnose him now with all of my grand knowledge of the veterinary world that I have now which is still very little but if I were to diagnose him now with my knowledge I would say that there's a good chance that raccoon was maybe rabbit had rabies and so obviously looking back no wouldn't do it again all right like I wouldn't be around it but there I was petting him and trying to nurse him back to health. When I got home and told my mom the difference, so mom, listen, you, you raised the son with the right priorities. Like we are out there trying to make a difference, saving the animals. When I told her about the raccoon that we were saving, I mean, she freaked out and I just couldn't understand. Well, what are you talking about? I thought, why, why is she so worked up about this? Now I understand. Because there I was nursing something, trying to get something strengthened that if that thing got strong enough, Sure enough, it was going to bite me and inflict me with some serious pain. That's the kind of anger that Jesus is talking about here. He said, when you let that anger kind of stay in there and you start feeding that anger and you start nursing that anger and you start justifying that anger and you start to qualify the anger and you start to let other people in on this and take this offense with me, when you start to do that, he says, that's when judgment comes not to the person that you're angry with, but he says that's when judgment comes to us. If we're, if we're trying to build a home, a life, a marriage that will stand the test of time, then there's got to be generosity when it comes to mercy and forgiveness. It's gonna have to flow. It's gonna have to continue to flow. And I know we've been talking about that a lot for the last couple of weeks, but I still feel like somebody's holding out and not putting the words into, it's one thing to hear it, right? We're not just called to hear, we're called to put it into practice. That's when the foundation of what we're building is on the rock. If we want it to last, there's also gotta be a commitment to truth. 
Jesus talks a lot about this commitment to truth in his sermon, Matthew 5, 33 and 34, and also verse 37. Again, same passage we've been, same sermon we've been looking at. In this sermon, he says, again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear on oath at all. By heaven, for it's God's throne. Verse 37, he says, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So here Jesus is talking about truth. He's talking about oaths and uh, he's talking about uh, promises and, and all these vows and uh, the reason why he is referencing this is because the Pharisees would have all of these different oaths and vows and they would swear by this and swear by that and if I didn't mention this when I was swearing then it didn't really count so you don't have to hold me to that because I wasn't swearing by God, I was swearing by the temple and that's less than God. They had all these different um, tiers of what you swore by and how much truth would be expected in that, uh, in that promise and so Jesus, it was, it was just a big show, it was a big game, it was a big bunch of tricks. And so Jesus was saying, get rid of all of that and just let your yes be yes, let your no be no. What Jesus was saying is, let the character of your life back up what you say you're going to do. That's what he was saying. Let the character, just be a person that when someone says, yeah, they said they're gonna do it, it's just gonna happen. And so how does this land in the context of, of maybe relationships? Or certainly even in marriage, does it mean we're not supposed to give vows? Because some of you are thinking, oh great, Jesus just said don't do vows, and I did vows at my wedding, so I need to come to the altar and ask forgiveness. That's not what he's saying. A, a vow at a wedding is, is just making a statement. We're not swearing to a bunch of stuff, we're making a statement. I remember being at my wedding uh, 29 and a half years ago, and I was standing there, and I made vows, right? I, I said all those things. Um, matter of fact, I was at my mom's house the other night, and I came across the picture of our wedding, and so I was just remembering, man, standing there across from my wife, making vows. Look at that. We, it's, we look exactly the same. It's crazy. I'm just kidding. I don't, I'm, no, don't even. I don't even. Um, but I remember standing there, and I said, oh, I said, in sickness and in health, and there's been a little bit of both of that. I stood there and said, for better, for worse. And there's been a little bit of both of that. I said, for richer, for poor. And there's been a little bit of both of that. I mean, I was on a roll. I even said, till death do us part. And I guess we're still on that path, right? We're still on that track. That's the plan. But here's the thing. Jesus is saying, and especially if we look at it through the context of this this home, this life that we're building together as a married couple, what Jesus is saying is that, hey, all I'm saying is you said this already. So now just let your character, let your life support what you said you were going to do and who you said you were gonna be. As a matter of fact, Jesus talks in this passage of scripture about divorce and I wanna take a few moments and share what he said I don't know if I would have included the topic of divorce if I was trying to guess what Jesus would cover in his most, most lengthy sermon in Scripture, but he did. And it's the same sermon, the same one that he said, if you'll put these into practice, you'll have a life that's built on the foundation. Verse 31, he said, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. That's what Jesus said. 
And then you could go, well, maybe he meant this or that. But he, he gets asked later on by the Pharisees. They, they approach this same topic again, and, they, and Jesus doubles down on it. Look, this is what he says in Matthew 19. Same topic, different scenario, different circumstance, different surroundings, different day. Pharisees come and ask him to test him. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And Jesus says, haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, for this reason, for what reason? If we go back a little bit, he says at the beginning the creator made them male and female and for this reason, for what reason? The fact that the creator made them male and female. He's referencing Genesis chapter one, verse 27, which says, in his image, God created them, the husband and the wife, Adam and Eve. God created them, made them male and female in his image. By that, we learn that man alone is not the image of God. And all the wives said, I knew that already, amen. No, it's, it's this picture of marriage. That's the power. Ephesians 5, talking about that marriage is this picture of Christ in the church. There's so much spiritual significance and weight on what marriage is to the point that Jesus is saying that's really the image of God. And maybe that's why he doubles down and says, so, so no, I, I don't think divorce is the answer. And, and, and he says, they're no longer two but one flesh, Says what God, so then they, they in verse six, verse seven, the, 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 the Pharisees say, why then? Why did Moses command that a wife, that a man give his wife certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. It was not this way in the garden before the fall. This was the plan. But Moses permitted because your hearts were hard. It's almost like we would expect God, we'd expect Jesus in this moment to go, okay, the law said no divorce, but under grace, you know what? Do what you gotta do, and I'll love you, and you still love God, and everything will be fine. That's kind of what you might expect, and it almost goes the opposite in this. Like they're going, Moses allowed for it, and Jesus is going, well, that's because hearts were hardened, but under this grace of God, under this season when our hearts can be right before God and tender before God, he says, it's just not the answer. And listen, I, there's a part of me, I, didn't, I wouldn't even want to cover this because the last thing I want is for somebody to be in this room and feel condemnation and go, oh man, but my, my past and now look what I did and now I'm just ruined and this and that. Listen, let me remind you how we started. Let me remind you about the conclusion. He said, if you hear these words and put them into practice, Jesus is talking about the future. Jesus is saying, from now on, you hear this and you go from here and you do your best to follow my teachings from this point on. It's about your future. It's not about your past. Anytime the devil tries to throw your past at you, you've got to remember that Jesus is about your future. It's about how we're living this thing out now. And that's always been, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The old is gone. The old is gone. We all got some areas of our life that we're glad that verse applies to. The old is gone. We all got them. And so don't you dare 
let the enemy bring some condemnation. We're talking about moving forward from this point on. We're going to take what Jesus taught and put it into practice. And the church said amen. Sometimes we think that these scriptures are here to restrict us, keep us in a situation that we're, we're, we're in pain and it's just we're not happy and we can't go out and have fun like the world has fun and they go out and do this and they go out and we can. All these rules and restrictions. Listen, Jesus isn't restricting us. He's protecting us. You realize that every time you look in the scripture it's giving you some direction, it's giving you direction to prevent you from the consequences of sin, the pain of what happens when sin is full grown in our life. Finally, we're gonna have something that lasts. We're gonna have to have love in action. Love in action. I, I love the way he says it in Matthew chapter seven, verse 12. Again, same sermon. Jesus is teaching. He says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Do to others what you'd have them do to you. This sums up the law and the prophets. And Jesus isn't saying that, that we should build our entire doctrine or our entire theology on just the golden rule. That's not what he's saying. But he is saying this, that this could be a principle by which uh, we interact with one another. That this could be the principle in which that we should react with our, our, our coworkers and our boss and our, our friends and our family and our kids and especially in our marriages, that this could be a principle for the way we react. Matter of fact, I like the way the New American Standard Version says it. Can I read that one? The New American Standard Version says this, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. Treat people the same way you want them to treat you. Now, at the risk of oversimplifying some very complicated situations and problems that might be represented in homes and in marriages that are hearing me today, in the risk of oversimplifying that, I just wonder how many marriages, how many relationships could be saved this year simply if husband and wife would decide to start treating one another better? Like just that one simple decision. If we just sat down tonight and goes, okay, I'm gonna write down five things I can do to treat my wife better. If a wife would sit down and go, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write down five things that I could do to treat her better. I just wonder how many marriages would get stronger in 2021. I just wonder how many marriages would maybe be rescued and saved just on that one simple thought. And Jesus said, it's not enough to hear that concept, but if you'll put that kind of stuff into practice, then you'll be like a, a house that's built on a sure foundation. And the storms are gonna come, the rain's gonna fall, the wind's gonna blow, but you'll stand strong. Oh, those other houses, man, they'll come crashing down. I don't know if we've been talking about storms and stuff. I don't know if, if you remember two years ago, back when Hurricane Michael was blowing through uh, the panhandle and, oh, it did such devastation. I mean, the pictures were just um, hard to even look, look at. It was, it was amazing that a storm could cause that much damage. And one of the pictures that started circulating a lot was this picture right here. It was a picture of Mexico City Beach in Florida. 
and just, as you can see, home after home after home, just completely flattened, if not uh, destroyed beyond repair. And yet, sitting out there was this one home, and it started catching a lot of attention. People started asking a lot of questions about that home, found out who owned it, and started asking some stuff. It's two guys from Tennessee that had built that house. A, a guy and his uncle built it together, and they'd never even built a house before. But when they went in to build that house, they decided, we're gonna build it for the big one. They didn't know the big one was coming when they built it, but they built it for the big one. They built it for the worst storm possible. Um, they said, well, yeah, as we were building it, we spent more money than we had to spend. They said, we spent at least 20% more than the state of Florida regulations or our county codes would have called for. Uh, we made it stronger than it had to be. Their walls were like 12-inch thick concrete walls. They put uh, uh, footers into the ground, uh, pilings down at 40 feet down into the ground as anchor, as foundation for that house. They, they took the roof and, and tied it on with, uh, with, uh, with uh, iron rope and, and tied the, the roof to the, to the ceiling. And so they built this thing for the worst. And they didn't know the storm was coming. But when it did, wow, what a picture. And as I looked at that picture, I just started thinking, man, that's what I want my life to look like. Like at the end of the storm, I want my life to look like that. At the end of the storm, I want my marriage to look, I want my family to look like that. I want my home to look like that. While everyone around me maybe has been flattened by the storm because they were built on the wrong thing, I want to be so built on the foundation that is Christ. I want to be so putting into practice his teaching that no matter what storm comes, I'm going to stand the test of time. My family's going to make it, my marriage is going to make it, and that invitation is for all of us. That's what Jesus said. If you'll put these words into practice, that's what you'll look like. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.